Welcome to Fishing Forward, a podcast inspired by fishermen for fishermen that focuses on health, safety, and staying shipshape in the commercial fishing industry. Fishing Forward is brought to you by the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety and by the Coastal Roots Radio team at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada and at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm your co-host, Hannah Harrison. And I'm Phil Loring. In this podcast, we're exploring how fishermen can be thought of as professional fishing athletes. That is that the nature of their work demands the same high level of mental focus, training, and physical acuity that one might expect from a professional sports athlete. Throughout this series, we're using that lens to understand the many facets of fishermen's minds, bodies, and well-being. And we're digging deep into tough questions around issues critical to the fishing industry. In this episode, we're talking about some common issues that come up on fishing vessels, particularly for folks who have made their living on boats for many years. That is, hearing loss, vessel noise, and vibration. Let's start by hearing from a fisherman who has experienced some of these issues firsthand. Hello, I'm uh, Chris Murray uh, from Ipswich, Massachusetts. I've been a commercial fisherman for close to 40 years, uh, both full-time and part-time, participated in offshore longlining fisheries, uh, tuna fishing, and for the past 30 years as both a full-time and part-time lobsterman. In addition to commercial fishing, Chris works in the field of noise and vibration reduction. During that same period of time, I've also uh, worked at Soundown Corporation, which is a company that provides noise and vibration control solutions to boat builders and individuals. So my specialty is in, in the technical side of, of this business is noise and vibration control on all kinds of vessels, including uh, commercial fishing vessels. So I uh, more or less can tie the topic of noise control to commercial fishing through direct experience in, in both areas. Soundown is a company that manufactures, sells, and distributes the equipment needed for noise and vibration control in a variety of vessels. This can include things from engine mountings to exhaust systems, and Soundown works with everyone from individual vessel owners to shipbuilders to help incorporate sound and vibration dampening infrastructure. But Chris's interest in noise and vibration actually began due to his participation in a somewhat unusual fishery that requires a degree of quiet and stealth. So in the early 80s, I was, uh, you know, full-time lobstering, and I was also uh, participating in the harpoon tuna fishery. And one of the real critical pieces of that is a quiet boat to be able to get close to the fish to harpoon them. So I met uh, up with this company happened to exist here, local to me, and I, I met up with the owner. Uh, for some suggestions on how to quiet the boat, not so much for internal, but for external vibration and noise going through the water, which included things to do with the propeller and vibration in the hull structure. So over the course of assembling a few boats and incorporating those uh, various details that we worked on over the years, um, I got very interested in the noise and vibration side of things in addition to the fishing piece. So at that point, uh, it was time for a little bit of a uh, pivot in, in my life. So I went less fishing and came to work here at Soundown about 30 years ago. Since then, I've been uh, you know, working in that field, but have maintained a pretty robust part-time 
uh, commercial fishing presence here in uh, where I live. Okay, so I get how loud noise or strong vibration can be irritating. But in thinking about the boats that you and I have been on together, Hannah, most of the time, the noise or vibration are pretty manageable. So I'm curious why this is considered such an issue for Chris. You know, this is a good question, and it really has to do with how loud sound and vibration wear on the human body over time. The main issue is, is there's two of them, is number one for me is, is safety. And number two is your, your own health and longevity in the fishery. Um, you know, noise exposure, vibration exposure isn't going to debilitate you in a minute or a day or a week. It's, it's a long-term degradation of, of, you know, various capabilities and senses as, as a human that, that come into play. So, you know, a generation ago when I first started here, I would go to boat builders or end users and they would they would say, we don't have a noise problem. Um, as time progressed, noise became a critical to quality component of almost everything in daily life. Your dishwasher, your cars, your refrigerator, you name it, your vacuum cleaner, you know, everything, uh, you know, they, they promote quiet as a, a feature. And over time, uh, various regulatory societies, such as the Coast Guard and the OSHA here in the U.S. for occupational health and safety, have determined that there's certain exposure limits that, that really need to be respected by those who work in a, in a given environment in order to not have long-term health effects. So given, the, given that sort of background, my, my personal experience is on a boat that's just generally loud, you feel a lot more tired and fatigue sets in a lot quicker on a daily basis. Um, and then you re rinse and repeat with this, you know, hundreds and thousands of times over a, a career on the water. Um, it, it takes its toll. In our interview, Chris explained the impacts on your quality of life that can come from prolonged exposure to noise and vibration, and how safety on board a fishing boat can really hang in the balance. The obvious one with airborne noise is, is degradation of, of hearing capabilities. Um, so over time, you become not just your typical hearing loss due to age, you, you, you accelerate that. And when you have hearing loss, there's other other effects that, that take place, so, you know, psychologically, as far as you're not, you're just not able to function as well because you're not hearing, you isolate, you get depressed, things of that nature. So there's a real, real case for trying to preserve hearing in your work environment. And then vibration, it's a little bit more physical. There can be long-term effects on feeling, and nerves and, and things of that with the mechanical uh, aspects of vibration with exposure on a significant long-term basis. So that, that comes into play. And then, you know, my own personal bit is, is about safety and able to communicate. Um, things happen on boats and they happen quick, not all the time. It's a very methodical slow process but when something goes wrong or something needs to happen it, it really needs to happen immediately and you need very clear communication hearing chris describe this you definitely get a sense for how when an urgent situation crops up on a boat you don't want to be wondering what someone is trying to tell you from across the deck 
Exactly. And here's Chris actually describing that very situation. In the Navy, the Marines, people that use boats in, in defense, they have very clear standards for oral clarity in terms of so you can hear commands. Because if you think about it, I mean, things you do on a boat, being in combat is probably the most critical to understanding what you need to do when, when you need to do it. Uh, a fishing boat in a lot of situations is not too different. Um, sometimes you're doing battle and you got to be right there with what you need to do when you need to do it and do exactly what you're told. So if you can't hear that, um, it's one thing if you, you, you know, it's difficult because of the weather conditions or the wind, but if you can't hear it because of something that can be resolved uh, through correction, it's really unfortunate because, you know, there's, there's certainly risk at stake, you know, for people and lives. So for boat owners out there who are wondering how they might start addressing noise, what parts of a vessel are the biggest offenders? For smaller scale vessels, especially those under 65 feet, Chris says that there are two big areas of noise production that can be addressed. The, the biggies are engine and exhaust noise. And if you can somehow reduce those to a, a tolerable level, so you can pretty much download an app on your phone and find out what the decibel level is and understand where you, where you are relative to a, a given benchmark. Smaller boats, it's generally a little more critical. Um, you can, you know, the smaller the boat, the further harder it is to get away from the noise source. And, and bigger boats are generally, as they get bigger, they're more forgiving because there's more space. But you get into other things that, that create noise. One thing Chris points out is that the investment in dampening sound on a vessel pays off instantaneously. So working to improve the engine room insulation is a very basic process and it has instant benefits in terms of reducing the noise. Uh, working to reduce the leakage of noise through hatch cracks and gaps and holes in bulkheads and things like that. So basically insulating and containing the noise so it's not escaping and affecting the people is, is a, a very instant result type approach. And then it's the, uh, the exhaust system because on a lot of boats, it's either a straight pipe out the back or it's a vertical dry pipe out through the, the, the top of the boat. And both of those, um, sometimes they're unsilenced, uh, be very loud. So there's ways to improve uh, different grades of silencing that you can do to the exhaust, you know, that make a, a, an enormous difference. And once you've handled those two uh, items, then it gets down to the auxiliary equipment. So generators, hydraulics, things of that nature. And there's also ways to identify and go ahead and, and, and reduce these, uh, these, these noise sources. So they all, what happens is, is you pick the loudest one and reduce it. The next one sort of rears its ugly head and you, you work your way down the list um, until you get to an acceptable point. So these efforts to dampen sound and vibration sound like they can really pay off. But based on our experiences on many loud boats, Hannah, I'm wondering now why more fishermen don't take advantage of these steps. 
Well, I think part of it can be that noise and vibration are expected parts of boat-based work for many people. A lot of people just live with this with without understanding that there's, uh, as you said earlier, um, it's just the nature of the beast. And it doesn't have to be, and it's not expensive to, to fix it relative to some other things you might do on a boat. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, that you, you don't need special capabilities to do it either. It's if you work on your own boat, change your own oil, things like that, you can certainly do a lot of the treatments that are involved uh, with, with, you know, rudimentary uh, noise reduction. Chris says another barrier can simply be the trade-offs of space or a lack thereof on a boat, where fishermen really just don't have room to add insulation or mounts. Then, of course, cost may also be an issue, though Chris says that fishermen can do things like insulate their engine room on a pretty small budget. But sometimes the real problem might be that fishermen just don't consider sound and vibration to be a problem. Or if they do, they don't know where to turn to get knowledgeable help. So the the real thing is is for those who don't understand noise as a problem to to know that, you know, there's, there's products and there's good tech support and there's there's good practical support and it's not pie in the sky technology where they can come ask the questions people that work for a company like Soundown understand what they're dealing with have had experience with their type of vessel and can help them work through the pluses and minuses of doing certain things and and everything in a boat somehow is a compromise. You're, you're never going to quite get it perfect. So you can draw on our experience to understand, all right, well, I guess the juice won't be worth the squeeze doing that. But if you do this, it'll be, you know, you'll, it'll be worth your money. That's a conversation we have every day with 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 people that, that are trying to improve the noise quality on their boats. Now I'm thinking about Chris's own fishing operation. And I'm imagining that with his passion for noise and vibration reduction, his own boat must be pretty quiet. I actually had that same thought. So I asked Chris to describe his fishing workplace and how it sounds. And for reference, he works on a typical New England style lobster boat in the 30 foot range. So from close to 20 feet from where I drive, like 18 feet from where I drive, I can carry on a conversation with somebody at the transom. So I can I can just turn around and say exactly whether it's just general conversation or I need them to do something. They can clearly hear what I'm saying at the level that I'm talking with you right now. And when we're idling and hauling traps, the loudest tone is the rope going through the hauler. And I've been searching for quieter rope. So it's very pleasant. You don't have to have the radio on 11 just to hear it, you know, and when you're going along at say 14, 15 knots, you know, there's an engine there, but the dominant tone is the wind in the water going by the, by the boat. Okay. So we've heard from Chris about how improving noise and vibration exposure can work on the boat. But I imagine there's still a lot to know about how these issues are perceived by fishing communities and their impact on fishermen's health. So let's go now to a research team from Memorial University at Newfoundland who have recently published research on those very topics. 
Hello everyone. My name is Om Prakash Yadav. You can call me OP. I just recently graduated um, last year. I I did my masters in community health, and um, my thesis topic was impact of noise on fish harvesters. So we uh, explore auditory and non-auditory means hearing and non-hearing health impacts on fish harvesters health. So uh, we did survey and we did interviews with. Uh, Uh, different fish harvesters in Newfoundland and Labrador, and right now I am working as a research assistant in a research lab. Uh, my name is Desai Shan. I'm an assistant professor in occupational health and safety, uh, faculty of medicine, community health and humanity divisions, Memorial University of Newfoundland. OP started us off by explaining auditory and non-auditory impacts. Auditory and non-auditory health impacts uh, are different uh, from hearing perspective. So most of the time, we usually think noise only causes damage to ears, but uh, that is not the case. Uh, noise causes hearing damage as well as impacts on other body systems, such as uh, noise can cause stress, noise can cause annoyance, irritation. Even noise can cause hypertension. That is called blood pressure. So it increases the blood pressure when we continuously exposed to uh, loud noise. And apart from that, noise can also cause impairment in cognitive per- performance. So sometimes we are not in a, uh, a proper uh, sense to work properly uh, if we exposed to noise regularly or constantly. It sounds like what OP is saying here is that prolonged or loud noise goes far beyond damaging our ears and. Can impact many other parts of our health. You know, it brings to mind for me that thing you do when you're in a car and you're looking for a place that you've never been, and sometimes you turn the radio down to help you concentrate on finding the address. Yes, I, you know, I do that all the time, and I always laugh at myself, being like, "Why am I turning the noise down so I can see something?" But it turns out that the noise in our environment can really impact our cognition. Dr. Sean went on to explain these issues further, drawing from her and OP's research on commercial fishermen in Newfoundland and Labrador, which looked in part at workers' compensation claims related to hearing loss. For the auditory uh, impact, so the hearing loss, this is something more uh, visible or more identifiable, and also recognized as a work qualified or eligible workers' compensation claim could be covered by the uh, workers' compensation schemes. Uh, but at the same time, we also OP mentioned about other non-auditory uh, impact on non-auditory effects, such as hypertension. So not just hypertension itself, but how to manage hypertension. Because we know if you got hypertension issue, you need to constantly manage it. But to be work in a workplace is constantly with noise exposure. It's very hard for the person to efficiently manage their hypertension. So it's become a chronic uh, health concern, chronic disease issue. And also fatigue. So basically, there are also research suggests that being、uh, exposed to noise, to a very noisy working environment, also will increase your fatigue level. And we all know that, as、um, probably early podcasts discuss about sleep. So we know that to have a, a 
sufficient rest on board small fishing vessel is a challenge. And in this noisy environment, it's also will further exacerbate the fatigue level. And when the fatigue level is being increased, then there will be an impact on their decision-making capacity. And when there is a decision-making capacity being impacted, then other safety issues will be raised. Listening to this here makes me wonder if all noise is created equal. Are some types or tones of sound more damaging to our ears than others? Uh, it turns out, in fact, they are. So sound travels as a wave, and high-pitched sounds are considered high-frequency sounds, meaning that there are more waves of that sound hitting your ear. On the other end of the spectrum, low-pitched sounds have low frequencies, with slower and more spaced-out sound waves. So to put it simply, more waves hitting your ear equals more opportunity for damage. Like Chris mentioned earlier, OP and Dr. Sean say that any sound over 85 decibels starts to be in the zone of damaging your ears. And how loud is 85 decibels, you might ask? Well, you can imagine a loud pub or a restaurant where you're sitting with other people at your table and it starts to be kind of hard to hear them. Okay, so how exactly does the sound injure our ears? I am not an auditory specialist, so I also had that question. And I'm going to hand it over to OP to explain. When we perceive the noise vibration or noise um, waves, so it goes directly uh, from the external part of ear to inside of ear. And there are three parts of the ear. So first is called external, that is called pinna. And we have one middle ear. So that is for the transferring of the waves. And the innermost part is called tympanum or the um, uh, the last part of the ear. So when the uh, waves hit on the tympanum, it's a kind of membrane. So that perceive the waves and the, the signals will pass through the uh, brain. And if we see the pathophysiology of the noise and uh, its damages, so uh, in the internal ear, there are different small hair-like cells uh, present. So when we uh, expose constantly from a loud noise, so what happens, these loud noise waves constantly hit on the small cells of the internal here and it damages them permanently. So that is why we call, if we expose to loud noise for a long period of time, it creates permanent um, uh, damage to ear uh, eardrum and then it, uh, it creates a permanent uh, hearing loss. Oh, wow. Okay, so the sound is physically damaging the cells within our ears. Yes. So now, of course, I was also interested to know how long does it take before loud or high frequency sound starts to cause that damage? But unfortunately, that is a tough one to pin down. Essentially, the answer is it depends. Hearing loss is based on many factors that are hard to predict when they're all put together. But the important thing to know is when it's gone, it's gone. Hearing loss is irreversible. And to make matters more challenging, identifying the initial signs of hearing loss is quite difficult because it tends to be a physically painless process. What they are saying, and if your housemate or your um, uh, relatives or your friends say like, you know, uh, you are very loud. Sometimes if we don't hear, we tend to be very loud. So loudness can be one of the criteria. And if you are not responding to people, uh, you know, for multiple times or one time at least, so this, this can also be a criteria. And again, if we go regular checkups, so we definitely can know with the instruments like how much auditory capacity your ears have. So that is called audiometry analysis. So with audiometric measures, 
we can identify the hearing capacity so these are the things but there is no physical uh, sign we can observe like pain or discomfort but these are the things we can you know keep in our mind op also mentioned that tinnitus or that ringing or tingling sensation that some people get in their ears can also be an early sign of hearing loss so if you're experiencing tinnitus it's important to go and see a hearing specialist now, earlier, Dr. Shan mentioned the study that she and OP did with lobstermen in Newfoundland and Labrador. What were some of their findings? So they conducted a survey and interviews where they asked fishermen about their perceptions of risk and vulnerability to issues from noise and vibration on their fishing vessels. In one of the survey questions, OP and Dr. Shan found that 60% of survey respondents self-reported hearing loss. Wow, that seems like a lot. I thought so too, but OPA then went on to explain that in other studies where researchers have done these self-reporting assessments and then actually tested the hearing of those fishermen, they found that the rate of people who were actually experiencing hearing loss was even higher than those who had self-reported it. So that 60% may actually be a low estimate. That's remarkable. So if fishermen are aware of their risk of hearing loss, are they doing anything about it? In this study, OP actually did ask some fishermen about this, and here's what he found. People uh, explained that like we need to do communication over the board, and if we put earmuffs and earbuds, it's very difficult to communicate, and we, we have always chance to fall down in the ocean, and sometimes uh, you know miscommunication create another damages or injuries. So we need to be alert and alarming. And in order to do that, we, we don't use the earmuffs and earbuds. Another issue OP and Dr. Sean found in their work is that fishermen typically receive very little information during safety trainings about the risks to their hearing and health that are associated with vessel noise and vibration. And even when they do become aware of these issues, financial constraints are perceived as limitations into making their vessels quieter. One thing that's important to understand about hearing loss is the stigma that is perceived to come with it. And as we've talked about in previous episodes of this podcast, commercial fishing is a lifestyle that demands near constant availability and the ability to work during the fishing season. And that means that dealing with hearing loss might become a low priority. One interviewee provided explanation why hearing issues or hearing loss being underreported among fishing harvesters is because of the stigma related to that. So people tend to, so that's why um, it's usually the person, the patient would be the last one to notice the hearing loss because we tend to say that my hearing is fine and it should not be a problem. And the stigma related to the hearing loss, such as um, if you're deaf or if you got hearing loss, then you tend to be very intelligent or something wrong with you. So that stigma actually disencourage the patient or the fishing harvester to address that issue. And also for the safety part, I think that's a major, um, major issue because doing fishing is multitasking. So you need to take care about the fishing safety, safety navigation. You also need to ensure that you have sufficient fish harvest to make sure you could support your families financially secure. This is a job, so you need to make money from it. Um, so at the time, if you say that hearing, oh, I need to protect my hearing and I need to have the ear protectors, ear muffs. But then if I can't communicate, how could I do the work? And what if I couldn't be safety cautious? 
So in that sense, you can see that the hearing house or they to protect the hearing, the priority being kind of, um, you know, put after other commercial interests, put after other safety cautions. And at the end, they will find when they got the hearing loss, it's gone. It's it's very difficult to, to address that harm. So knowing what a prevalent issue hearing loss is within commercial fisheries, what can fishermen do or what can we as a society do to mitigate these health risks? Well, Opie and Dr. Sean say that safety trainings should include honest discussions about the health risks posed by vessel noise and vibration, including beyond the issue of hearing loss. And policymakers and communities might consider ways to provide financial resources to perform noise mitigation on boats themselves. And beyond that, OP also has a few ideas. So first thing is to identify the risk, because if they are not aware of the risk, then it will be difficult to get rid of that. Again, uh, there are many things which can be done to get rid of or minimize the noise, because it's very difficult to do the absolute uh, noise-free environment, because there are many other factors which are not in our control. But at least uh, there are some basic things which can be dealt, like uh, you know, using of electric gears, or soundproof engine rooms, you know, sleeping rooms are away from the engine rooms. So there are something which are, you know, uh, structural design changes. There are something which uh, uh, like, you know, constant rotation of the shift from the high noise area to low noise area. Although most of the fish harvesters, which we studies are using the small fish vessels. So it's very difficult to go from one place to other place. But even if they can do that, like, uh, you know, some people are working in the engine room or let's suppose uh, near the engine room. So they can shift their, you know, positions frequently. So they will not constantly expose to the high amount of noise for a long period of time. And the second thing is uh, at the time of sleeping, because sometimes most of the participants which we studied were using the day trips. So they were going and coming back. But if the fish harvesters are staying in the ocean for a long time, so uh, they need to be take care of their sleeping habits. So the sleeping room should be away from the engine room, if possible. And at the time of sleeping also, they should use the earbuds in order to minimize the noise exposure. Because sometimes if you say, if we, you know, sleeping, so it's not about the awareness, uh, uh, like we are aware or we are sleeping. The noise, you know, source noise, we, con we continuously exposed to the noise. So at the time of sleeping, if we use... Uh, uh, and earbuds. So that is also a kind of thing which, uh, you know, can prevent the uh, further damage to the ears. Before we wrap up, I want to summarize something I heard in this interview. Opie and Dr. Sean observed that many fishermen view hearing loss as a normal hazard of commercial fishing and had a sort of fatalistic attitude that having their hearing damaged by long-term exposure to noise was normal. And that's a problem. It's really difficult to mitigate health and safety hazards if the people experiencing or regulating those hazards view them as an inevitability. So in addition to strategies for sound and vibration mitigation that we've heard today, another type of change that will be required is our expectations as a society as to what hearing-related health sacrifices are even acceptable in food production. All right, so Phil, what were some of your big takeaways for this episode? For me, I was really surprised to learn from OP and Dr. Shan's study that such a large portion of fishermen self-report having hearing loss. 
and also from Chris Murray that there are so many different things that can be done to the boat itself to help reduce the noise and vibration. On my end, I was really surprised to learn that hearing loss is irreversible. That was a a new fact for me. And that often the person experiencing hearing loss is the last to realize it. But it was really good to hear about some of the early signs of hearing loss, like tinnitus. Thanks for joining us today. In this episode, you heard from fisherman Chris Murray in Ipswich, Massachusetts, and from researcher Amprakasiata and Dr. Desai Shan, an assistant professor of occupational health and safety at Memorial University of Newfoundland. If you'd like to learn more about the noise on your own vessel, you can find links in our show notes to a free app that you can use on your phone and find out just how much noise your own boat does produce. You can also find other resources about noise, hearing loss, and vibration aboard commercial fishing vessels in our show notes. Seriously, do check it out. There's a lot of really great stuff in there. Fishing Forward is a production of the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety and Coastal Roots Radio at Dalhousie University and the University of Guelph. We love to hear your feedback. You can share your thoughts with us via email by emailing fishing at necenter.org or you can leave us a voicemail by calling 607-221-4448. You can also visit us on the Fishing Forward podcast webpage at www.coastalroots.org slash fishingforwardpod. Though we do our best to bring you accurate information and lived experiences in this podcast, Please remember that all of the health-related information presented here is the opinion of the interviewees and should not be interpreted as licensed medical advice. As always, talk to your physician about your own health needs and circumstances. Fishing Forward is funded by the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety. We also receive support from the Alaska Marine Safety Education Association, Oregon State University, Fishing Partnership Support Services, Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, the Nora Agriculture Forestry and Fishing Council, the Southwest Center for Agricultural Health, Injury Prevention and Education, and the Local Catch Network. Safe sailing.